0: Uh, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, that's where we are. We're studying the biography of Jesus's life, his words, his, his works. And we've been looking at Matthew uh, many, actually many years ago. We picked it up in the first half and now we're finishing it here. And today we come to um, one of the most powerful moments in our salvation, in our story, in your story, and that is... Uh, the moment where in, in the midst of covenantal betrayal, in the midst of lots of denial, in the midst of a, of, a, of a night, which we're gonna look at next week where Jesus sweats blood in prayer before hours of the cross. He does the most incredible thing with his people, which we do every single week here. And that is he uh, institutes and calls us into communion with him through the Lord's Supper. So uh, today we're actually gonna do, I don't know if you've ever had this before because I don't think I have, but uh, we're gonna do a whole sermon on the Lord's Supper. I wanna talk to you about communion, what we do, what's happening here, its significance, its importance, and how it actually can transform us even as any other means of grace. And so, I mean, I I was, as I was into it this week, was surprisingly... Joyfully, thankfully convicted, if that makes any sense. And so I'm 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 actually really excited to talk about this. It's interesting. If if someone asked you, hey, what's been really key for you as a Christian in your, you know, in your understanding of the gospel and in your growth, in your godliness, what's been really key and helpful in, in kind of encouraging your life with Jesus? Um, how many of us, the first thing we would say would be something like, you know, well, it's deep study of the word of God. It's, you know, it's 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 taking worship music and going out and just praising God we or journaling i just i really meet with jesus in journaling it's and so whatever your answer would be how many of you the first thing that would come to your mind would be the lord's supper like the the greatest growth and way i just stay connected in the gospel oh is the lord's supper right not many of us and and i Maybe you, I don't know. But but for me, that wouldn't be the first kind of conversation, you know? But when Jesus brings his disciples together, he's not like, hey, let's grab our journals. And, but he, he does something totally different. This is, just so you know, for the disciples, for the early church, and for centuries that have followed, this has been where their soul-anchoring, gospel-nourishing, heart-changing, intimate act of worship has been the highest. It's been in this meal. In Acts, we read this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper and the prayers. In Acts 20, we read on the first day. So that's Sunday of the week when when we were gathered together to break bread. This was the main meal. This was the main event. This, is, this was so central to the life of the church. They couldn't wait to do it. Charles Spurgeon said, I can bear my own witness that many and many a Sabbath when I have found but little food from my soul elsewhere, I have found it at the communion table. Uh, like Spurgeon, Uh, I I needed this passage this week. Um, Have you ever had a week that felt like a continual throat punch, right? Like just emotionally, spiritually, like you just had the hardest week that was even hard for you to understand where you just felt like, hey, am I okay? Where you just thought like, I think something is wrong, or or you you began to just go. I I am such a failure at so much, and you just you know you have to survive. But this feeling of of being constantly beat down, and then you you know the lies of uh, isolation come in, where you hear things like you know God doesn't really love you, and you're like oh, okay, I know He does. Like where you know, and then you hear he he's. I think he's really disappointed. I think. Um, you, know, you know, that thing, that thought you did, you should have done or been better in. I think God has left you. Like I, right, anyone, anyone, you just, you know, you, uh, you just picture Jesus putting your bad week on his fridge going, Holy Spirit, I don't know what we're going to do with this. This is a bad week. And you just, you kind of live in that functionally. And praise God for the Lord's Supper, Like praise God for these elements, this institution, this meal. Praise God because none of that is true. And we praise God for communion because in in communion, Jesus leads us out from a focus on us to a focus on who he is. And who we are in him and what he's done for us. See, communion brings us to remembering his grace is greater than our sin. His power is greater than the enemies. And and sure, church, there's no greater meal. There's no greater. And we do it every week, so I'm excited we do it every week. If we didn't, we would start. Uh, there's no greater meal, there's no greater. Thing that touches all five senses for your soul, for your lives, for your hope. We should be more excited about this meal than all the meals. We should. If someone's like, hey, you excited to go to Ernest or try that new taco place? you are like, those meals are nothing. This one's the best meal. I can't wait for this one. Ernest later. Communion, mm, I'm gonna meet Jesus there. Okay. Enough intro. You're like, that wasn't, you know, that was Okay. I should work out like two or three intros and try them all out, you know, like Michael Scott at the wedding. Okay. Uh, Let me show you our passage and then we'll get into it. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is... My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let me pray, uh, Jesus. We we really believe that your body was really broken and your blood was really poured out. And in that breaking and pouring out, it was as if our body was broken and our death happened and our judgment for sin and you rose After conquering, destroying, demolishing sin in all its power and all its implications and all its separations and all its effects, you have brought us out. And we have a promised land that we look forward to. And I just, I want to pray that as we enter into this night with you, Jesus, and as we partake of the same elements with you, Jesus, that you would be so present, that we would all feel so uh, in fear and awe that we would say, like the Bible says, as if I think God was there today. And you are, and I just, I pray, I, pr- I don't know if, the, if my week was the only stormy week. But we need this meal. We need this remembrance and this communion and this hope. And I pray this morning, whether it's a seven-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 55-year-old, we'd all encounter the presence and power of Jesus by the Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me teach, use the spiritual gifts that you've given me In your name, amen. Amen. Okay, picking up in verse 17, I wanna show you before we read or before we kind of unpack further the setting of this night. You can really see it in verse 17. Verse 17, says, now on the first day of unleavened bread. So note that this is a celebration. Jordan did a great job last week in the temptation and taking us through this a little. The disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover Okay, big word. If you're new to the Bible, we're gonna understand this one really closely today because this is the Passover meal that Jesus is putting over it and fulfilling the Lord's Supper through it. Huge significance. Um, Verse 18, he said, "'Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, "'The teacher says, my time is at hand.'" I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now notice something here, the disciples prepare the Passover. Uh, We'll talk about what that would have looked like in a second here, but who's setting all this up? Like right away, we need to see Jesus is the host of this meal. Like Jesus has somehow, I don't think this is like a Jedi move, you know, where they're like, find the master and tell him it's your house. I think Jesus has somehow in between all his traveling times, met this man, had this room, set this whole meal up, had a great place ready and prepared for them for this great meal. So this is really key. He arranges the meal. God, anytime, anytime you study all the covenants in the Bible, there's always this um, already existing relationship and before God makes this unbreakable loving promise with, with all this, con- with beautiful conditions and great uh, ways that he's always gonna show them his love and mercy by grace, these covenants, uh, he, he's always been the one who initiates it. This is Jesus inviting them into it. I, I say this a lot and we'll keep saying it, but you didn't save you, right? God saves you. God is the one who, who, who always stepped in in mercy. So Jesus is the host every time. That's really important. Every Sunday, we have we have, because it's a communal meal, which we'll see in a second, but Jesus is the one who's setting all this up. Jesus is the one every Sunday when we come to the table, He's there in a significant spiritual way. And so you need to hear this. Even if we're not prepared, Jesus is prepared. If we're not maybe ready, he is always ready. He is the one who's hosting this meal and he hosts it because he loves you. And then watch this. So let's talk. What is this Passover meal? What are they setting up? Uh, Okay, well, Jewish writing and tradition tells us there were three kind of basic food elements and, and uh, traditional elements of the Passover meal that the disciples would be you know, preparing. One was unleavened bread, which represented the haste of Egypt. It didn't have time to rise. And so when God was getting his people out of Egypt, they had, they had this unleavened bread. Um, it represented again, yeah, the haste of leaving Egypt under, under slavery. It also came with bitter herbs, which, which reminded them of the difficulty of those times and how bitter it had been. Secondly, they had four cups, four cups of wine, which were passed around throughout the meal because they represented the four great promises of exodus, of deliverance, of being uh, their God, their people coming into the promised land. And then there was the centerpiece that they would always have to prepare. And what was that? The lamb, the lamb. And what they would do, okay, um, at least as far back as early as the documents show us, is they would have the father of the house uh, or, or the main you know, the patriarch of the house. And and what they would do is they would walk through this Exodus story. And in sharing this, they would have, oftentimes if it was a family, they'd have like one of the younger sons be ready to ask, what does this bread mean? And so then the father would, you know, he would explain, they would say, you know, this is the bread of the affliction, which our fathers ate. They suffered that we would be delivered, and and then they would ask, "What does this wine mean?" and and they would go into, "This is the promise of deliverance." and and then the, what they would do is they would they would sing, they would sing some of the halal songs in Psalms, like Psalm one fifteen and one eleven. Forget them all right now, but the, the the hallelujah songs, they would sing these songs, and they would bring out another element of the wine, and and they would share th- this whole story. And here's the thing that I want you to see: as they recounted their story. Each Passover meal for them meant more than just remembrance. It, it was much more. It, it, was a, it was a living way that they would fold themselves into the story, meaning they would say, This God who saved them is the God who saves us. It was more than, it was more than remembrance. Every generation was, in a way, participating in the Exodus event. They were brought in. This was their story. And Jesus is is doing this here with them. He's the host. He's the representative. They know what's gonna happen that night, they think. And it's interesting, all four gospels seem to have all these food elements except for one, the lamb. I'm sure maybe the disciples prepared a lamb, we don't know. But they all make sure to point out the main course becomes the feast, and that man is Jesus. That lamb is Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's actually go a little further back. So let's, let's go back to the Exodus. Okay, so if you're new to the Bible, there, there is a 400 gap between the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, which explains a lot of how God has wired humanity to work, who we are, we're image bearers, and, and who and what has gone wrong with the fall and what he's doing to rescue and renew God's people. You have an inc- incredible story of Joseph. You probably have heard it. But anyway, so in Exodus... Um, when God's people are enslaved under Pharaoh. This is horrific slavery. We did a whole series on Exodus. So if you're like, oh, this looks really interesting. I wanna learn about it. You can, you can go back there. But under under God's people, when they were enslaved under Pharaoh, he raises up Moses and Moses goes, you've you've probably all heard the story. Moses goes and proclaims to Pharaoh, let my people go. Because in short, God sees their condition and it wasn't only that they were oppressed horrifically and enslaved physically, but God saw that they were enslaved spiritually, that Egypt had, had come into their hearts along with all the false worships and idols and practices. And so God, in being their rescuer, he comes in and he challenges their false gods, their false worships, and with each plague destroys each one. And then, and then each time after each plague, he says, let my people go. And again and again, Pharaoh goes, nope, nope, nope. He refuses until the last judgment, which comes through the death of, his, of the firstborn sons. And here's what God says to Moses. He says, finally, Pharaoh will let you go. The last stroke of judgment will redeem you. This last plague, this Passover, is one that will get you out. This is a, a, a huge, Explosive energy moment in human history. The plagues have happened. There's the last one coming. When was the Passover meal instituted? It was instituted on the cusp of the Exodus. Right after this final plague will be in God's story, the rescue. After this plague, in God's story, it will be the parting of the Red Sea. It'll be the getting his people out. It will be their gospel that they will go back to over and over and over. It'll it'll be the indescribable redemption. And it's in this final plague that we come to the importance of the meal, the lamb. So on the eve of Exodus... So it hasn't happened. On the eve of Exodus, the Israelites were to do two things with this lamb. First, they were to apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they would eat. It's Exodus twelve seven. the blood would serve as a sign so that when the judgment through the angel of death came, it would pass over their home, seeing death has already accomplished there. A substitutionary death has happened. Judgment has already occurred in the dying of this lamb over the door. So what, here's what Israel learned. They learned that God's mercy to them came at a cost. That Israel's not exempt. A substitute had to die in order for Israel to be saved. They saw the point being, God did execute judgment upon Israel. They too were wanting to be their own gods. They too were, were stuck in this idolatry and they too didn't live to love God and love their neighbor perfectly. And it fell on the sacrificial lamb that God had appointed to die in their place. So here's one of the most amazing things about this. This is the most non-discriminary things in the Bible. As one commentator points out, God does not say, hey, when judgment comes, of course it will only hit the bad people. It won't hit you good people. It, it will only hit the Egyptians, it, it, not you Jewish people. It will only hit those people who have the wrong religion, not the people who have the right religion. No, what's he saying? He's saying you will not be saved tonight unless you put the blood of the lamb over your door jam and you take shelter under it. The second thing that God commanded Israel to do, and it's already on the screen, they were to eat it. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Okay, so do you see what's happening in our passage? On this night with Jesus, on the cusp of another Exodus. Jesus is leading them. Into their new story, into their new way in, he is he is taking all the covenants that have ever been made, and he is coming into this new covenant. Luke says, he leads it all. He picks up the bread, and they're ready for it. They're like, "Here we go! Let's get our, here's our story," and he says, "This is, I'm the bread." I'm the bread of affliction for you. I'm the bread of life. And they've heard that language. In John six, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats me will never hunger again. I am the lamb. My blood will be where you place yourselves under the refuge you will hide under me. Jesus is about to bring his people through judgment. There's going to be a final and eternal and glorious way for all of us to be forgiven, for us to be fully rescued and healed. There's gonna be a new way that God's people by grace through a substitute will have forgiveness forever. This is the new love, unbreakable promise. And it's a promise just, you know, that the prophet Isaiah, I mean, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of, this is going to come with the Messiah. This isn't new that this is the Jewish Messiah. This is the savior. People in Matthew's gospel who are Jews were, were going, this, there's no way this is all happening. Like, they're, they're beginning to just see it all. Let me show you Jeremiah. Here's what the prophet says in Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. About after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. His spirit will be in them from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. And this is what Jesus says in verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant. It's happening. It's being fulfilled which is poured out for many for what? The forgiveness of sins. In 1 Corinthians 5.7, Paul, Paul writes, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. He's like become what you are, you, you're a new loaf. And he says, for Christ, our what? Passover lamb. Again, this is, just, this is a sermon on communion. We wanna know what's happening here has been sacrificed. In his death, we receive forgiveness from the past and freedom for new life in Christ. This is what Paul's saying in that moment. It's amazing in Revelation five, when John's been given a vision of of Jesus, of the savior and, and listen to what he sees. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a, what's our word? a lamb as though it had been slain. And then listen to the song they sing. This is the song that they bow down. Worthy are you to take this scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Which leads us to another significant moment of this meal. See, there was a hope that night. Think about the order. Here's an institution of a meal, then the Exodus, a, a rescue so they can come through and be taken into the promised land. See, in eating this meal before the Exodus, it gave them a taste of hope. It was like, this is where God, God is going to take as, as, as real as this bread is, was as real as that angel that just went over the house. That was real. As real as this bread and that angel and the, the all of this parting is as real as where we're going. It's all going to be Real. When they ate it, it wasn't just, hey, we're redeemed from oppression or from judgment, but it was, we're redeemed to this promised land, to this covenant, to a new relationship with Jesus. We're not just saved from sin, we're saved to God. We're saved to a new heavens and a new earth, to a new resurrection. It's all hope. This meal was a remembrance of the past, of course, but even more, it was a hope for the future. It, it was, it was like it was a dress rehearsal. It was a movie trailer. Matthew twenty six, the next verse, Jesus says, "I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you." That's future. In my Father's kingdom, First Corinthians eleven twenty six, where, where Paul recalls the Lord's supper. This is the last thing he says for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until what? Until he comes. Until he comes. The best is yet to come. Okay, this is just an appetizer. There's another meal. We also have come out of Egypt spiritually, and we are also not yet in the promised land. Jesus on the cross saves us from the penalty of sin. This is really important. The courtroom has been let out. Judgment has been accomplished. The trial is over. We just sang it, Jesus paid it all, amen? That's really exciting. Jesus on the cross saves us from the penalty of sin. You will never go back into the courtroom there'll never be another day when you die where it's the courtroom of your right standing with God. That day happened there. Blood over you, there. That's a really good promise. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. He even, the Bible teaches in different places like Romans, he breaks the power of sin. We have the spirit of God in us. We have the power. It's, we're really aware of our sin a lot more. There's a warfare, but we have the power of sin in by the spirit to put to death sin. He's defeated its power, but listen, he has not yet fully removed the presence of sin. And the resurrection is still coming. New heavens and new earth are still coming, but listen, As you come to this table, you're assured that will happen. Just as real as that bread is, as real as the death is, it will be as real as your new flesh will be on a new heavens and new earth. Here's where I get a lot of hope. I am so tired of the presence of sin. I cry out constantly, come back. And when I take communion, when we take communion, here's our promise. We will one day be who he's made us to be. We will one day fully have what he's already purchased and delivered and claims us to be. There is never a day where your bad week is on his fridge. Never, because your bad week was nailed to his feet. But it's a dress rehearsal. It's not the final meal. There's another meal. And Jesus is, I mean, we make good wine in the Okanagan. He's not drinking any of it. He's actually waiting. I'm gonna ask him, did you really wait? Yeah, funny, that's my word. I'm so sorry I said, anyways. Um, he's really excited to have a good glass of wine with us. Okay. Different sermon. Well, how can we... Is it fermented differently back then? Okay. Ha, second part. I, you know, we're a family, so I just really want to get practical with you. I, mean, I know if you're a guest, you're like, this is weird, but it's not. I kind of just treat you like a big living room. Um, I, I want to be really practical with us. I really felt that we do honor the Lord's Supper. I really, I, was, I love how we do it weekly, but there was a part of me that says, I think we can do it even better. We can have a little bit more of an awe and really know what we're doing when we do it a little better. So some of the language we're gonna uh, use now continually will be that is this sentence. The Lord's Supper is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. So this is what I wanna do with the last part of this sermon is I wanna get really practical because we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. And every week we feast, Jesus is the feast, but we feast in remembrance and in communion and for hope. So let me explain those first for remembrance. This This is so simple, but this is so key. It's not about you, it's all about Jesus. When we come to the table of grace, when we come into our, how God wants us to weekly engage and know and and worship, because this is an act of worship when the church gathered, they worshiped through the breaking of the bread. It begins with, it's not about you. This is all about Jesus. He's the meal, he's the feast. Yes, we're called to examine our hearts, but listen, too many of us have thought that means "Well, I messed up this week or I wasn't focused that much on God and the enemy's like, you know, you didn't do good enough and you got to make up for it and, and maybe he doesn't want me and, and, and maybe if I just behave a little better next week, I'll take communion. No, that's making this about you. This is not about us. This is about what Jesus has done for us. Communion is not about you. Don't miss this, okay? This will be on the screen. Please don't miss this. That Jesus appointed the elements of bread and wine to be held out and given to us powerfully portrays one of the most basic lessons in Jesus' teaching about salvation. That lesson is that we are undeserving recipients of the free provision of God in Christ. In the words of Guy Waters, Theologian on the Lord's Supper writes, when we come to Christ in the supper, we are not fundamentally doing something for him. He he is rather doing something for us. He is supplying needy souls with the grace of the gospel. He is nourishing what we need from the resources of his sacrificial death on the cross. He is pledging to bring each of his children home to the messianic banquet where we shall enjoy in full what we now enjoy in part life and blessing from, with, and in our Savior. He is furnishing what we need. It's, it's a remembrance of what will be, of what Jesus has done. As one pastor reminded me this week, you do not have to pretend to be farther along than you are. But communion is a remembrance that God loves you right where you are. You don't have to pretend. You don't you don't have to come to communion thinking I'm not worthy. Eat by faith. He loves you. Remember the reality of Christ's sacrifice. We're not to come so obsessed with us and how we're doing. We're come to worship and exalt in Christ and what he's done. That his suffering and his obedience meant our suffering and our obedience, as if we too suffered the pain on the cross for our sins. That's how real it was. So, too, we are entering into what happened to him when we eat. And this is a covenant for forgiveness of sins. Okay, like I know some of you, we've already had a few conversations, so but I think it's good to teach the whole body. Some of you have come from churches that have said, once saved, always saved, is untrue. You know, that it's not good doctrine. That's quite the opposite of the gospel. So let me explain. There are texts that say we're called to persevere and, and hold fast and work out our salvation, but this is the salvation. In those passages, we work, which the next verse says, for it's God who works in you, but we work. What is is salvation? It's everything we've just been saying. Salvation is not, the work is not. When you work out this salvation, it's not a work of, I'm gonna add to this salvation behavior or, or, you know, moral white knuckling, get better, don't, you know, fight with like, not the Holy Spirit with your own, like, I'm just gonna not sin, I'm gonna be good and blah, blah, blah. When Jesus was asked in John six, it'll be on the screen, what must we do to be doing the works of God? He responded, this is the work of God that you believe It means continually believe in him. That is how you work. The way you work out your salvation is a continual believing that your righteousness and standing had nothing to do with your works, had everything to do with Christ. That's what communion is. Communion is going, I bring nothing of my own. That's why we sing all glory be to Christ. It's all glory be to Christ. That's the salvation we work out. Listen, the Holy Spirit in the Christian will work out good fruit. That's what he's doing. He loves pointing you to Jesus. He's gonna convict you, he's gonna do his job. He will, he will help you in your war against sin, but the work of faith is this work. We work out believing in the work of Jesus on our behalf. Communion is a once saved, always saved meal. Okay, just so you know, we're gonna do a whole sermon on this topic in the fall, so we'll get there. But I just, I will not let us not take communion today if there's someone in here going, but what if I have, this is a covenant for the forgiveness of sins. There is no sin that you will eventually do. Jesus says there are seeds that are sown. Some look genuine they are pretend seeds because salvation by definition is not us holding on to salvation. Salvation is accomplished and reckoned. It's not, I know we have verses like whoever believes, but believing is second. I mean, Ephesians two says belief itself is a gift of God. Anyways, I know it's a different sermon, but I, I really got excited for you. Let me say it this way, if Jesus pays for someone's sin, then he delivers that person, period. The angel goes over the door, they're coming out, period. Jesus does not make redemption merely possible. He accomplishes salvation, and he reckons it to us forever. That was the scandal of this gospel, of this new covenant. That's why they say in Romans, like, shall so we just sin so that Christ looks even better? He's like, by no means, just so you know, when you have Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. And he just explains that out. But that was the objection. His death actually buried your sins. They were not just removed and put in another place. They were were destroyed by his death. They're They're destroyed. Your sins were terminated. So you can now live a whole new life as a new creation with a new power. Jesus drank the full final fourth cup of God's wrath so that we can be sure the only cup we'll drink from God is the one that his son Jesus will hold out today. His son Jesus, through us spirit-filled believers will hold out his blood. That's the only cup you will drink. Okay, second, so we have first, it's a feast of remembrance, we're remembering the gospel. Second, um, it's, it's communion, communion, communion by communion, and I know we use the words interchangeably here, communion with Jesus. So let me explain this, okay? I don't know if you've heard this passage before, but in, in, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians 10, so Paul, he's telling the church to not get messed up with idols and, and the, all the feasts that are associated with it. Uh, he even says when you do that, you're actually participating with demons. Okay, so let me show you this. The cup of blessing that we bless, this will be on the screen, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The, blood, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And I do want, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. So he's like, there is an idol out there. So you're in the market and you're buying a piece of meat, or you're going to someone's house and they're like, here's some, here's some meat. In, if the moment they say, hey, we, we've sacrificed this to an idol, that means it's not really an idol. But because it was given into demons, there's been a participation of a demonic presence in it. Okay, there's a lot there. But in this passage, Paul seems to be suggesting that there's a real presence in the elements. A, a kind of communion. It's interesting, this word participation is the Greek word... Uh, like fellowship. Here's what the great Puritan Richard Baxter said. Nowhere is God so near to man as in Jesus Christ and nowhere is Christ so familiarly represented to us than in this holy sacrament. Like sure, there's something by the way of his presence in this as he is in all the means of grace, like, you know, when you read your Bible and prayer and fellowship, there's a sense of God's presence by his spirit. So too, is there a fellowship with him, a kind of communion with him as if when you come, you're participating and and, and folding yourself into his death again. Feel him. Like receive the kind of welcoming you would at a meal. Like Jesus is here. We believe that. But have we thought about the moment we are taking this communion, his presence, his communion with us. Connected to this reality is, is this was a familial meal. Like in the Passover, they would actually have the families gathered together even on that night. And they were all to do it at the same time at twilight. Jesus is here with his disciples. We read in Acts 2 and Acts 20, they devote themselves to this. God God loves being with his family. Like for him, this is his family meal and he loves being with us and he loves to give us the greatest meal and the fellowship with him because our fellowship with him, as we've talked a lot about in the past, is our fellowship with one another. So this is why you've heard, if if you've come to a church, maybe you're not a Christian yet, but you've heard us say, if you're not a believer, please don't take. It's a meal of you're actually feasting in faith on Jesus. It's those who participate are saying he's over me. I've taken a hold of him. He's, he's, He's mine, this happened to me. This meal says we've been brought out of this world. We're distinct from the world and we are the family of God. There's gonna be another party that we're all gonna be at. Okay, so it's a feast of remembrance, a feast of communion. Thirdly, as we kind of already said, it's a feast of hope. So this meal is a reminder Of The new creation includes a fully new you, a new heaven, a new earth, a new king. Again, we look forward to another banquet. We long for hope. We long for the day that that his his renewal comes and brings healings into our dissatisfied souls at times and our, our struggles against all of the world and all of the flesh and all of the lies. And it's... We long for the world to be made right. We long for brokenness and relationships and 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 the evil we see from, from all kinds of greed and sex trafficking and the pain that this world itself feels, and famines, and quakes, and and shootings, and just we all feel this. We're burdened by it, and then we got our own stuff and And this is a meal that that says there's one day gonna be a renewed and restored hope for you with each other in Jesus. And so when you take this meal, I want you to remember this is Jesus' life given for you. His body of righteousness. He lived the perfect life. He was sacrificed for you and he shed his blood for you. You know, Romans 8, like, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up. Jesus is really excited to have this meal with us every week with his family. Every sin you've committed, every way in which you fell short was paid for. And your act of working out your salvation is dipping that and believing it. So if you wanna work out your salvation with awe and trembling today, believe the gospel. This is what we come to celebrate. The gospel, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's, it's the gospel. It's keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's the more we grow in the gospel, the more we'll see our lives look a lot like Jesus. And this is one of the ways Jesus had. It's the meal that the church clung to that Charles Spurgeon couldn't wait to go to church to eat because he was like, my week was hard. I just need to eat and remember Christ. People have been healed, refreshed powerfully. Let me say this meal calls us to not hide. This meal calls us to confess our sin, to be free. You're not your sin. You're not who the enemy says you are. This meal says you can confess. You don't have to hide because you're already hidden in Christ. You're, you don't, actually, there's no blame on you. I know that sounds like, mm, I don't know if that sounds good. There's no blame. Jesus took the blame. We own our sin, but the blame is gone. Eat the body with every physical sense, remember, commune, and hope.